This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in again. Second Wednesday in June. 2021 man time is just fly by oh my god now did you catch samantha fish last week god she is so good hopefully you did if you missed it you know you can always go to guitartalkofficial.com and you can catch the archives for any of our programs so uh yeah it was really good you know also too uh this program is brought to you by guitarsforvets.org It's an organization that helps uh, veterans with PTSD through the gift of guitar and through music therapy. To find out more, see how you can help, or to donate, go to guitarsforvets.com. So, you know, have you been to Guitar Talk Official lately? I'll tell you what, a lot going on. There is an awful lot going on. we got a new video releasing uh, later on this week. It's a um, demo and review for the Dutch overdrive on lpd pedals which is a great pedal now if you're in uh you know drive pedals uh, this is definitely one that you're going to want to get in uh put in your toolbox because it's something that you're going to want to pull out from time to time because it it is a great pedal we've got that releasing uh which is going to be really really cool um, Saturday on uh, my Mountain City Rock program, which is at 10 a.m. at mountaincityrock.com. Uh, Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods is going to be with me. So uh, that's coming up. So make sure you uh, bookmark that so that you can stay abreast. And then also, too, you know, uh, June 26th, I'll be performing at the Castle Loma Ballroom in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm doing a double show with um, The Breakers, which is the nation's number one Tom Petty uh, tribute band. I absolutely love Tom Petty music, so I'm really looking forward to being able to do a show with these guys because I know how good they are. It's funny, I close my eyes, and man, it really does sound like Tom's in the room, so I'm I'm really stoked. So if you... uh, Want to come out to that? You can always go to jimmywarrenofficial.com uh, uh, for tickets. You can go to Eventful, uh, which is where tickets are sold, or you can go to the Castle Loma Ballroom, and the link for tickets is on their website, on their calendar. It's going to be a great show. Doors open at 6 p.m. There's three bands. It is going to be killer, killer, killer. I'm going to do it as a trio. We're going to rock the house that night. I'm telling you right now. So uh, if you're in St. Louis around the 26th of of uh, June, excuse me, uh, I'll be at the Castle Loma Ballroom. And last but not least, make sure you're going to Guitar Talk Official and signing up for our uh, 
uh, newsletter, man, just subscribe to our, our website and you'll be kept in the loop. We don't we don't hound you or anything like that. You'll get one email a month typically, and it's just a newsletter to let you know what's going on for the month. So that's going to be pretty cool. I'll tell you what, today I've got a, a really exceptional guitarist. Uh, her name is Gretchen Min. You might know her from the uh, band Zepparella, which is a female uh, Led Zeppelin tribute band. Uh, she she can do Jimmy Page to a T, but this lady is man. She is so talented. I mean, beyond talented. Uh, her uh, newest projects are based off of it's a musical composition based off of the Dante's uh, Inferno story, and it's all instrumental. And of course, and it is beyond amazing i mean this lady is uh, she's a player's player for sure and i think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and when it's all said and done you're going to make sure you're going to go to gretchen men that's m-e-n-n dot com so that you can learn more about her music find out where she's touring what's going on with her i know she's been doing some uh, online Zoom stuff with Jennifer Baton and a few other people. So uh, as you can tell, she's well-connected. <laughs> but uh, you're going to love this. Okay, so we had an opportunity to sit down a while back, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this uh, because, as I said before, she's a, a super, super nice person and an amazing guitar player. So here she is, Gretchen Men. Right here on Guitar Talk. Right, Gretchen, thank you so much for joining me on Guitar Talk. You know, I don't know everything about your uh, musical upbringing, that, but one thing I could tell by your music is it sounds like you have a deep classical background. Is that correct? Your ears do not deceive you. <laughs> yes, I, I studied classical guitar was sort of how I got serious about guitar, and I, um, I ended up getting a degree in music because that's what I wanted to study, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have a, a strong love and a deep interest in um, compositional music, as yeah. well as guitar and rocking out. Well, your music is so multifaceted. I mean, there's really some beautiful layers, and it is so well done. But I, I need to know, did you play any of the other instruments that are on the compositions that you did? No, I, I really wish I could. Every now and then somebody gives me way too much credit and thinks I play a violin, but I think it's just that that leap from seeing me play Dazed and Confused and <laughs> my Zeppelin tribute, Zeppelin, and thinking because I'm, you know, smashing a Les Paul with a bow that, that I must be a violin player, but no, I'm not. I did write all the parts, though, so that's... Wow. <laughs> well, that's me. I'm guilty of that because I thought maybe you played cello or violin as well because there's so much of that material in your recordings. But that was a part of your music that was really, really incredible because you don't hear that side in music too often. In guitar music, you don't hear the, the orchestra and the strings and all that so much on top of it though your playing is really unique and you can hear that jimmy page you know even though you're in a zeppelin band had to be one of your hugest influences it definitely was um and, and more so when i really started playing that music professionally it it was a sort of a gateway band it was my one of my good friends in junior high she had cool parents and they would often introduce her to music they really liked. And I remember her just being like, hey, come here and 
playing some Zeppelin for me and she was all obsessed with the song Stairway to Heaven. Her name's Ashley and she's still a good friend. And I was like, you know, yeah, that's pretty cool or whatever. But then when the Levy Breaks came on, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the one. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) So later I was able to appreciate the majesty of Stairway to Heaven. But when the Levy Breaks was the the one that sold me on Led Zeppelin. Okay, but... You know, you've had to have been playing, you know, Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin since the very, very early days, correct? Not really, actually. I mean, I listened to Led Zeppelin, and I think that was part of what got me interested in more guitar-oriented music. But I kind of went right to the guitar virtuosos, or virtuosi, if you want to be Italian about it. Um, I like Ivi and Joe Satriani and Eric Johnson and Steve Morse. Those were, like, sort of my first four, like, guys that I really, really got into. Well, I think it's really fascinating that you took an interest in that style of guitar, um, I mean, come on. I mean, so many people are, you know, are fascinated by it. But your approach to the guitar is so different, and there's really nobody with, in my opinion, the approach that you have that is is spinning it in that direction. And so to be able to incorporate what you do with what they do to some degree, if you don't mind me saying that, is, is really fascinating. It's interesting how many people hear instrumental music that features the guitar and immediately Joe Satriani's who comes to mind. Now, mind you, Joe Satriani was like probably my first guitar hero. Right. But there's only one Joe Satriani and I'm not going to try to follow in his footsteps and do a far worse job (laughs) of it. (laughs) So so I wanted, I wanted to try to, I guess we all do. We all want to try to figure out what we can bring to the table that only we can bring to the table. Well, it is interesting that you didn't gravitate towards the neoclassical aspect of guitar, which you would think with your background would be obvious. You know, players like uh, Tony McAlpine and Malmsteen seem to be more of the direction that you would think that was somebody with as heavy as classical background as you have, that would have been the obvious direction. No, I mean, I love it. I mean, believe me, like I discovered Ingve later um, and a little bit same with Tony McAlpine, although my my dear friend Neely Brosh played with him. So I actually saw him live to, you know, going to see my friend Neely. Of course, it's amazing. I think what I learned early on when I got into the Dixie Dregs, like really early on, I think I was probably the only 15 year old girl in the country who was like, you know, <laughs> dragging people to Dixie drag shows. Um, but, um, but I, I totally got, well, I got into Steve Morse band first and that was when he was still touring with both Steve Morse band and the Dixie drags. And I, what I loved so much about it was that within this small ensemble, it's very orchestrated. I loved the dialogues between instruments. I loved the pairings and the juxtapositions and the conversations. And I loved how much, even though the guitar was fascinating and virtuosic and exciting, it, it was never like the solo player being backed up by these other, you know, instruments that were kind of relegated to support roles. I liked I like more of that sense of orchestration. I think that's what drives me a lot towards composed music as well is you listen to a string quartet and even if the first violin does a lot of the heavy lifting, like th- those cello lines are going to be cool too if we're still listening to them today. And, and even the viola, it's often relegated to the less uh, interesting parts. It has beautiful music written for it as well. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what kind of hooked me in and got me going in that direction. Okay, so how much of your album is improv versus, you know, scripted, you know, written out musically? Oh, it's all pen. I mean, yeah. for my album stuff, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm doing more, I'm working on another album where I'm trying to do a little bit more, but there's an interesting line. On one hand, you can see so much of the relation between composition and improvisation. If you think of improvisation being spontaneous composition and composition being selective improvisation, they can be related. But when you're trying to lay things down for multiple instruments and have, you know, imitations and counterpoint and stuff like that happening, I think you do kind of have to commit to a part. However, a new piece that I'm seriously, I think I'm almost done with it as of today, at least the first draft, I have a space where there's going to be a guitar solo where it's somewhat laid out. It's laid out for like those parts that I mentioned of like doubling and, you know, um, counterpoint with other instruments, but then I'm leaving some stuff a little bit open so I can have some spontaneity within a larger composed structure as well. So when you go to play your albums live, do you stay true to the context of what you've written or do you improv? I mean, do you give people an opportunity to experience a live uh, version of it? It depends. I, I do I do try to change things up a little bit. And the more that I play, like if it's my trio with um, Thomas Perry on drums and Anna Pfeiffer on bass, we'll do things where we'll extend sections or we'll add sort of a, a, an intro or we'll change things up a little bit for sure. But it's inherently just somewhat more composed music. So uh, I don't try to make it be something it isn't. But on the other hand, a lot of times we will work out work things into the set like we do a, a cover of uh jeff beck's brush with the blues and so i always take an Im improvised solo there so there is some improvisation that happens but if a piece is composed i just i let it be composed even if i might do slight little variations here or there play with the phrasing or articulate something a little bit differently yeah now when it comes to music though do you have any like hidden pleasures you know like drum and fife music or are you a closet smooth jazz fan you know what I mean? You... That's a great question. I'm like the biggest gypsy jazz fan yeah. who really doesn't know how to play gypsy jazz. I did do one cover of a, a Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli, uh, one of their versions of Minor Swing. Yeah. It was super fun to learn, but gypsy jazz is its own language, its own discipline, and the whole right hand technique, like, you know, I didn't even try to do it like that. I just learned the notes and did my own version of it, but... I could listen to Django every single day and yeah. be completely happy. Okay, cool. But in the early days, you know, did you learn to play by ear? Did you take lessons? Did you do a little bit of both? I mean, um, did you, you know, have a guitar instructor? Did you get to the place to where you had any understanding of theory by the time that you uh, got to college? A little bit, that? yeah. Actually, my friend Ashley, the one who introduced me to Led Zeppelin, she had started taking guitar lessons from a guy named Sam Eigen, who's still a good friend. Actually, he, he went on to play with Smash Mouth in the last couple of years. Yeah. But a great guy, wonderful teacher, wonderful player, somebody who's really good at um, cultivating the love of music as opposed to being really dogmatic in the way they teach. Yeah. And, and so early on, I took some lessons with him because, you know, my friend was doing it. And he was just such a great first teacher and well, and still a wonderful teacher and a great friend, but he, he would just teach me what I wanted to learn. I remember like, I must've been like 
I mean, within the first couple of weeks I was playing, I was like, I want to learn trademark by Eric Johnson. He's like, okay. And he like, each week we did little sections of it. And at one point I knew that song like beginning to end. I mean, I still think it must have sound ter- sounded terrible, but at that time <laughs> I got really into it. And it's why like hybrid picking like was something I didn't even think about learning. It was just part of how you played the song. Um, and then I remember tra- asking him to teach me too many notes by Steve Morris and he didn't even laugh at me, which was really nice of him. But yeah, um, it was that. And then I went to to high school in Palo Alto, which is directly across the street from Stanford University. And so even though it's a public school, it's, you know, academics are just on everybody's brain. And so pretty, pretty, like pretty much from sophomore year on, it's like they just get it in your head, like SATs, college applications, SATs, college applications. So I didn't really focus on guitar. It was something I would pick up here and there. And then by the time I got to college, I was like, wait a minute, like, I want to, I want to be more serious about it, and the, the guitar teacher who taught for all of the five colleges in the area was reputed to be just a phenomenal teacher who, whose students had really, really good technique, and I'm like, sign me up for really, really good technique, so I had no problem at all shifting gears and, you know, loving, falling in love with classical guitar, so that was when I really actually kind of started practicing and being serious about it and studying music, yeah. With a little bit more focus and discipline. It's nice when you have an instructor that instills that inspiration and passion for the instrument. As opposed to the guy that I had that gave me lessons that wanted me to learn how to play Row, Row, Row Your Boat from a uh, Hal Leonard uh, book, which I absolutely hated and ended up quitting. <laughs> I don't know. But I, all I know is I quit. <laughs> it Teachers can do a lot of good and a lot of harm. Well, I agree. So uh, do you do uh, lessons? Do you give lessons? Do you give master classes? Do you do clinics or anything like that? Um, a little bit. I don't do one-on-one lessons. I don't, I don't, there are only so many hours in a day, Yeah. but I do have a, a series of instructional materials with jam play. Um, I'm also talking with them about doing another course this year and also with True Fire. I did a series of lessons with Acoustic Guitar Magazine that eventually got published into a book. It's sort of uh, the demystification of music theory and applying it to the guitar. Just I feel like music theory really gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that. And then recently, uh, Jennifer Batten uh-huh. contacted me at the beginning or a few months into the lockdown. Uh, she and Neely Brosh and I had done some shows together, and she had this idea for an online guitar camp, um, and that's called Guitar Cloud Symposium. And we've done a whole, you know, quite a few at this point, uh, and and it's all just live via Zoom. And we have uh, it's like a, a we have a four day camp, and then like a, something called a deep dive that's like a one day focus on something. The, the most recent one was Jennifer's great idea called Heroes, and so she taught like the style of Jeff Beck. I taught a bunch, like tried to cram as much as I could about Jimmy Page into an hour and change. <laughs> uh, Vicki Genfan, an amazing acoustic player, uh, talked about Joni Mitchell. And then Jude Gold, my buddy, taught uh, Eddie Van Halen. He plays Eddie right. Yeah. So that was really fun. And now we've got another one coming up in February. So kind of all of my teaching efforts have been going to that. Although I, I still continue to do stuff for like I'm doing an article for Premier Guitar coming up so 
more like articles and online instruction. Well, the pandemic has made everybody kind of reevaluate things, and now they approach things in a way to try to stay relevant in front of people. You know, they're trying to earn, you know, different ways to get their income. and Yeah, it's true. It really is true. And I have to say that something that often I often I felt that my interest in a lot of different things maybe prevented me from some of the successes I could have had if I just picked like a lane and stayed in it. The good thing is that when this pandemic came out, it was like, oh, I can do some teaching. Oh, I can. I know how, I know where commas go. I can construct a, a coherent sentence for a publication on, on guitar. <laughs> and so it, it actually meant that I was able to hit the ground running in a way that, you know, so far I've not been evicted. So that's really good. Well, those become opportunities in order for you to get new fans and to stay in front of people and open, you know, new opportunities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, who in the, if this year hasn't taught us anything else, it's that we just don't know what what life's going to hurl at us and we might as well just do our best to be buoyant and adapt and figure out where the, the, the hidden good, good parts of it can be, you know, it's, it's, it's all too easy to focus on the bad and to complain about live shows, live shows. It's like, yeah, they'll be back and complaining about it does nothing. So in the meantime, I'm writing more music and I'm trying to develop parts of myself that were neglected when I was touring so much. Yeah, well, you know, there's some people that have taken the opportunity during this downtime in order to, you know, grow as players. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody that had never used a thumb pick, and they always thought it'd be a good idea. I heard that, Carl. I was listening to that, oh, that you listen? your podcast earlier. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, Carl's amazing. So inspiring, yeah. Well, I find it really cool, you know, when somebody as gifted as Carl Verhey you know, says, hey, you know, I'm going to use this time to develop myself further. That uh, that speaks volumes to me, you know, and it shows the love and the passion that he has for it. You know, but really when it all boils down to it, when this pandemic's over, you know, the world's going to be going 100 miles an hour out there. Yeah, well, and it did occur to me early, early on in the lockdown when it looked like it might be on, only a few months, I remember thinking like, okay, well, this is going to, there's a lot of reasons we can say that this sucks, but I thought the music, the what this could potentially do for the music industry, I'm like, what if every musician took these months to woodshed on what they know their weak areas are? We, we as an industry could like make this huge jump with everybody just taking this time to practice. You know? Exactly. You know, I've done the same exact thing though. I've taken this time uh, in order to spend time, you know, trying to improve my playing and work on things that I'm weak at. You know, I've probably spent far more, you know, time, countless hours probably over the last 10 months, 12 months of trying to get better because I have to because, you know, when it boils down to it, I'm really a lazy player. You're, I don't think so. I've heard you play. Well, that, that's really kind of you. I appreciate that. You know, uh, yeah, I, I can't read music. I am completely untrained. Uh, I'm as illiterate as illiterate gets. The one thing that I did do that I think is, you know, formative for everybody is I've learned to neck really well. And through that, you know, I play by shapes or I've learned things through shapes in that. 
but uh you know at the heart of things for me it was always the blues you know i cut my teeth in chicago playing at blues clubs so you know and that's not a a trained you know theoretical you know music it's an emotional music now you have to be into the blues because i mean come on you're playing jimmy page and led zeppelin page yeah i mean it's very blues based <laughs> it's interesting sometimes i feel like you know the blues language you know if you if you look at different um genres of music almost as like dialects yeah. of a language the blues language is very specific you know mm. meaning that it's like they're and I often tell, like, students or whatever, it's like, if you want different things, it's all there. And, you know, you want to learn something about expression, bending, and vibrato, go right to the blues. Because yeah. that's where you're, you're going to get, you know, that level of, uh, of personality, of expression, of unmistakability. Because within a, you know, within a, a genre and within a form that, that has, like you said, you know, kind of a... Um, like a, a standard layout that of course there's plenty of iterations from that, but where right. the complexity comes from some of these, these details and these personal nuances, there's, there's so much to learn from that. And yeah, so of course uh, I love the blues and nobody stole more of it than Led Zeppelin. So, <laughs> yeah. so how was it to learn that Led Zeppelin catalog? I mean, uh, Jimmy Page, you know, he's he's a different player. He's got a completely different perspective and almost, you know, borderline odd way of approaching the instrument. I agree with you. I agree with you. I was actually in my deep dive. I was just talking about this. Uh, I think Jimmy Page has a wider musical view than a lot of guitar players do. I think as guitar players, we tend to be very focused on our fretboards and focused on what we bring to songs which is understandable but i feel like jimmy page was almost a guitar player second and like a visionary and producer first um and and you can hear that so often in these carefully crafted and intricate productions with a guitar solo that sounds kind of just thrown down but very spontaneous very off the cuff not i'm not disrespecting jimmy obviously like you'd be hard pressed to find a bigger disciple but <laughs> but but I feel like that's actually a really good thing for me because I tend to fall into exactly what a lot of guitar players do which is to be completely and totally wrapped up in my in my own playing and and what's going on on my fretboard and I like that the playing that music reminds me of you know really playing for a band it was a guitar oriented band but it was a band yeah it was a band that stopped because they lost their drummer you know you have other bands that continue when a lead singer like switches out or passes away. Well, everybody in Led Zeppelin was amazing players. They were all equally good in their own right. The only problem was was that within that band setting, they were incredible. They were amazing. It was it was magical. Right. And when you take people out of that setting, you know, they might still be great players, but you know, the magic just wasn't there. But when you put, you know, all of those guys together and on stage, there was something magical about Zeppelin. Most things are less magical than Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that was, the, that was a real synergy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you could tell you're a real fan. <laughs> I am. I mean, and, and, I, and I don't think you actually have to be a huge fan of Led Zeppelin to, to have a lot of respect. I mean, there, there yeah. are plenty of, of artists 
I won't I won't name them because I'm never going to say anybody who I'm not that much of a fan of. But but where maybe it's not necessarily your cup of tea, but where you can still have a list a mile long of all the things that's good about it. Something I remember my dad always told me that he had heard from one of his professors in, when he was in college was just because you don't like something doesn't mean it isn't good. Yep. And there. There, we all have our own personal taste, right? We all have that which makes our soul sing or that which really fires us up. Yeah. But I don't even think you have to be a Led Zeppelin fan to learn a ton yeah. from what that music has to offer. Yeah, well, I th- I think most of us really appreciate, you know, really good music, you know, and talent for being talent. Yeah, yeah. You know, Good music's good music. I yeah. mean, and that's why it's, it's kind of never... I, I can wrap my mind around the idea of having genres you like or don't like, but I remember even being like a snotty teenager, totally just like getting my mind changed <laughs> about country music when I heard Albert Lee play. And I was like, Oh, never mind. <laughs> like, like that was really cool. I, I, he, he took the solo on the song country boy. That was just like the most shredding thing. I mean, it was like the country equivalent of Ingve. Yeah. It was so incredibly cool. And that's when I'm like, okay, I got to stop it. Like I'm going to stop with saying I like or don't like certain genres now when it comes to gear i'm sure that when you're doing the led zeppelin Zeppelin thing you probably have to play play a les paul that hangs down to your knee (laughs) and you probably gotta have you know the old 70s plexi marshall going on and that but you know i've seen some of your other guitars and one that fascinates me is i've seen a white one i'm not 100 percent sure what it is but I think it's an Ernie Ball. No, you're right. It is an Ernie Ball. It's a Music Man Silhouette Special. But it's an unusual looking one too. So you're you're not you're you're not entirely wrong with second guessing yourself. It's because they kind of threw it together for me out of I think stuff they just sort of had. <laughs> <laughs> Laying around the shop. But it ended up it's one of those things that it's like, but it turned out really well. So I I love it. It just there's something magical about that instrument. So that's my, I have a lot of other Ernie Ball guitars that I love or music man guitars that I love, but this one just like Frank Zappa said, if, I, if you pick up a guitar and it says, take me, I'm yours. That's the guitar for you. Yeah. Uh, that's how this one is. It's just, it feels like my guitar. Okay. Then, so that's your primary guitar. It's my primary electric, uh, solid body for my own music yeah. or for stuff outside of Led Zeppelin. Although I do use my Les Paul for, like, my original album, the one I sent you, no. uh, a number of the tracks have the Les Paul on it. Like, um, the riff of the first track, Shadows, yeah. that's on the Les Paul. Uh, all of uh, Hound of Hades is on the Les Paul, and Beast is all on the Les Paul as well. Um, so I do use the Les Paul for stuff, too. They just have such a, a unique sound. Music Man's a lot more comfortable to play for hours with. Okay, but is there any uh, specific alterations or modifications that you need to a guitar when you first get it? For instance, do you have to have certain pickups or certain types of pots or, um, you know, certain types of tuners or whatever it might possibly be? Is there anything at all that you do in order to make that guitar, you know, work for you better? deep into the customization um my music man has uh, demarzio custom single coils and my les pauls have demarzios as well um the latest ones i got are the this new um rose gold pickups that are in my 
my number two Les Paul. That's this blue one that I have. And those are absolutely gorgeous, DiMarzio's. Um, and the uh, number one I have still has the 36th anniversary uh, PAF. Um, but in terms of like custom pots or whatever, not so much. Uh, the frets, I recently just got new frets on my Music Man silhouette. I went with the like jumbo frets as opposed to, or what are they like? They're not the, it's so funny because it's like I went to the luthier thinking he would understand better and like, you know, <laughs> was like, hey, what are these frets? And I, I didn't realize that there was, or I don't know, from what I, I would think that it would be a very specific measurement, but even he said that there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, uncertainty with what falls into certain categories. So I've got the second up from the humongous frets on my, on my music, man. And I don't really want to spend the time or money to do more, like more fret work right now. Yeah. Mostly for me, it's like, as long as it's set up really well and intonates fine and, uh, and the action, I, I don't like it too low. I don't like it too high kind of like, middle of the road on a lot of that um i kind of just sort of adapt to the guitar itself i think you know maybe there would be great flexibility and really knowing how to get in there and mess with everything but i feel like we're all patient for different things and impatient with different things and for me i've got a ton of patience when it comes to like composition or study and a lot less patience when it comes to like the technical uh i should i should say technological aspects of it so if something's not working like on the guitar or on the amp, I'm pretty quick to be like, you know, and yeah. just like call somebody else. <laughs> I mean, little things I can fix on my own, but for the most part, I'm like, if this is, if this would take, you know, my buddy who fixes this 15 minutes to do, and it's going to take me three hours, forget about it. I'd rather practice for that, you know, support a local, you know, luthier. Um, uh, you mentioned one thing about my Zeparella rig, which is for a long time I did, and I do still have a mid seventies Marshall JMP. But a couple years ago, I switched to a two rock Bionics, oh. and I and I expected a lot more pushback than I got for that because, well, on one hand, Jimmy played a lot of different amps. You know, you see him with orange amps, you see him with high watts. Yeah. So I don't feel like the amps for Jimmy are quite as iconic, though. I think most people kind of associate him with Marshalls, but I think that's almost more of the era. And the type of music, exactly. but the two rock, man, I gotta say, I've never gotten to play like a, like a true plexi at arena volumes. But it's but my two rock is what I imagine that would sound like really? at small small club or small theater volumes. And so I I just switched to it. I still have my Marshall. I'll never get rid of it. But in that respect, I just kind of made an executive decision that this is the sound I liked, and so that's what I'm using now. Yeah, two rock is uh, is a great amp. One thing that I really like about them is that, you know, they have such a clean platform. You know, and it's a good good place to launch from. And I own the uh, classic reverb from two rock, and it stacks so well with pedals. But the clean platform is just absolutely brilliant and beautiful. It's a great amp. I love two rocks so much. I actually have. Just four of them now. I mean, it's like I have a Bloomfield Drive that Bill Crenard, I guess one of the guys who started Two Rock, he customized it for me, which was incredibly kind. Um, I've got a little jet that they don't even make anymore. And then another Bloomfield Drive um, that's living in Europe right now. 
Yeah, well, the Bloomfield drives are amazing amplifiers. Oh, my God, those things are so good. But you know what? If you ever get the opportunity, you should really check out uh, Foosh. Uh, I think the Overdrive or the Full House, man, those are great, great amps, too. I think I've played them once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know those are great amps, all of those little boutique ones. Yeah. Now, are you somebody that is always messing around with equipment, you know, really techy, you know, trying out different pedals and, you know, different, you know, uh, things? Or are you somebody that's got a sound dialed in and you love it and you stick with it and you try to keep it as uh, simple as you possibly can? I'm, I'm more of the keep it simple I think that as we grow as musicians and as our ears grow, then out of necessity, sometimes we have to do a little bit of futzing around. Mm -hmm. But I, I was fortunate one time to have a, a a great discussion with Eric Johnson about his tone rabbit hole. Yeah. And to hear him talk about it, I felt like it was a really good cautionary tale. I, I mean, Eric Johnson has always had phenomenal tone. He had phenomenal tone before he went down his tone rabbit hole. He's always sounded great. And I think it, if there was ever any inkling I had to really get geeked out on that, it, his talking about it made me think, you know, it's just better if I work on writing music. And at, at this point, I've got... I've got gear that is far better gear than I am guitar player. If I'm not getting the sounds I want, it's because I need to be practicing. It's not the gear's fault. Oh, ouch. <laughs> well, hey, but here's the thing. It's like that's what we can control. It's like the more responsibility we take for our own problems, the more chances we have of fixing those problems. So if I think, wow, my tone sounds like crap, you know, I'll work on me. You know, well, I mean, obviously I'll double check and make sure the amp doesn't have some ridiculous setting, you know, but, yeah. but if, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've got more than enough gear for my whole life to have a huge sonic palette and, and spectrum. And at this point, I'm just mostly really focused on my own playing and my own writing. Yeah. So are you into any of the uh, digital platforms? I mean, you know, do you use a Kemper at all or a Fractal or, you know, when you go in the studio to record, are you using plugins like UA plugins or uh, a Helix or anything like that? I like real amps. Yeah. I, I, I got to say, no, no, they are getting better and better with plugins. Neural DSP sent me one. Um, they have a whole bunch. The Archetype Pliny plugin is, I think, probably the best digital stuff I've heard. The effects on it are fantastic. Yeah. Like the effects, like I would use the effects on that for like album recording, possibly. But to me, there's just, I'm a tube amp person. That's what I, my first amp is, I think a 60, is it 66? I'm looking at it right now. It's like, I think a 66 Fender Deluxe Reverb that I got at like a little place in my college town, you know, where I gave them 20 bucks every week until I paid it off, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. And, and I didn't even know what I was getting at that point. I didn't even uh, I didn't have the knowledge. I just went around the store and asked somebody who knew how to play better to demo amps for me. And I'm like, what's that one? That's the one that sounds good. And, you know, yeah. I've kept it forever and it does sound fantastic. So now, well, this, um, I, that's my, if that's what you cut your teeth on. It's kind of hard to be like really excited about plugins. So of course they're understandably useful yeah. for different types of gigs, but not for what I do. Yeah, for most of us, we like the, the feel of that air pushing on the back of our legs, you know. 
Yeah, well, just responsiveness. You know, I do a lot of volume swells. Like, you know, to me, anything that where where I feel like that I don't have the same uh, kind of relation with with dynamics and with feel and with you know being able to hit something, like being able to control game with your attack. Mm. You know, it's like it doesn't. You don't always have to reach for a knob. Like if I'm hitting the strings hard, there should be more gain than if I'm hitting. Like I should be able to go between. You know, theoretically, if I have sort of a midway sound, I should be able to go from something that sounds pretty distorted to something that sounds quite clean with simply my volume knob and my attack. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, I think they're getting there. Again, like somebody who really knows their plugins is probably going to be like, no, that's all wrong. You're much better. So they probably are better and they're probably going to be better tomorrow and the day after. <laughs> but at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to my amps. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I told you a minute ago that you know, I have the, the Foosh Overdrive and uh-huh. UA came out with uh, a Foosh Overdrive as part of their uh, plugins. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if you, I, you probably, you know, haven't been on my website, but if you were to go on my website, the song that's played, I did an Alan Hines cover in that and I recorded it using that overdrive from the plugin and uh-huh. I was just blown away you know of how close it actually sounds to you know the real thing I mean, uh, it just it blew me away i mean i i couldn't believe it yeah, yeah i mean they they definitely have some good ones and i will say that for certain things like like guest solos and, and stuff like that hmm. there are times that plugins have saved me because especially now like without the easy ability to just get into a studio it's like if i'm recording in my home studio like I could have a day where for no clear reason, it's just like the amp's really buzzy. I'm not going to send off somebody's tracks with a big loud buzz on it, even if I'm like, oh, but like the overtone sparkles a little bit more magical. It's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to go into a plug and I'm going to get tone that I think is solid, like, you know, solid, good tone, knowing that it's going to be within a mix and have it not be loud and buzzy. So that's, you know, it's one of the things with recording at home and recording with single coil pickups. Now, I I do want to ask you one thing, and I try to ask this to everybody because a lot of the people that that listen to this show are are young players or new players, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. people uh, really from all walks of the, you know, the playing skill level in that. But people always want to know, you know, what what are things that that you did in the formative days of your playing that have made you the player that you are now, is there any like practices or disciplines or specific things that you did that you say, you know, this is what's really helped me to be, you know, the kind of player that I am today. Such a great question. Thank you. Um, I guess I've got kind of a boring answer first and then maybe something a little less boring, learning the notes on the neck, like, all of them, not just your low E string, not just your A string up to the seventh fret or so. I mean, like every single note, like learn them cold. I think that the um, the compensating me- mechanisms that we develop um, just by not learning those end up being far more work than just learning them. So I, I think you save yourself a lot of, a lot of try- time, trouble, and self-doubt by just getting familiar with your fretboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say learning enough theory or terminology so that you're conversant in music. So, you know, even if you're 
straight up blues player, you're like, I have no use for some of these like harmonic concepts. You know, if you talk to me about a French augmented six chord, like leave me alone, you know? Um, but even like if, if, if say your bass player is like, Hey, let's try this in B instead of A, knowing what that means, knowing what your chords are, knowing where to find them, you know? So just having a certain, having enough vocabulary and fluency in whatever your realm is mm-hmm. to not, to not feel insecure. A lot of the people I know, uh, musicians I've worked with, who don't just spend the time to do this, have this like constant sense of self-doubt and insecurity or justification. And it's like, dude, we're talking about something that's just going to take you a couple hours to learn. Like this is not, you don't need a master's degree to learn this. And then it frees you up a lot. So I would, I would say on a larger level to people, be fearless and remember that if something can be done by somebody else, it can also be done by you with equal effort or with comparable effort. So don't limit yourself and know that it's a long, long path. And that I think people imagine that things will happen more quickly, maybe to the point that, you know, we all know if we've been playing for a long time that even if you work really hard, things take some time. So Mm. knowing that the path of music is going to challenge you in a lot of different ways. And if you're ready to rise to the occasion, you'll be a better person because of it. And I think most importantly, always stay connected with what drives you to do music and what makes you love doing music. Because if you're doing music for any reason other than because you love it, you will become jaded and disappointed. Even if you have a great amount of success, there's always somebody who's going to be having more of it who you think doesn't deserve it or something like that (laughs) and you know just staying focused on doing what you love and making sure you keep loving what you do so that you can bring something that is something only you can bring to to the world and and to music yeah well that's all that's all great advice i mean uh, i agree that learning the neck knowing the neck is i mean that's vital and you don't have to you know you don't have to go to berkeley to be right. to be able to figure that out, you know, right. and uh, and it's a smart way to go because then when somebody says play, you know, G major, you know where G major is everywhere on right. the neck. So exactly, that's 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 only really wise, you know. But uh, you know, what do you got planned for you know the the future once things open up? Are you you know I know you said something about a new album. You're going to release a new album? Is that yeah. the going to tour? Or are you going to tour? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, well, gosh, I had so many things put off because yeah. of us. I was going to be in Germany with my um, original trio. I had some shows lined up with Neely Brosh and Jennifer Batten with, with our original projects. Um, and Zephyr all had all sorts of stuff planned. So a lot of things got cleared off the calendar. So I'm sure we'll be back at it. Although I do think that this time off has given everybody probably some much-needed reflection, and I know that the way in which Zapparella used to tour, we, we, we might be reconsidering that because, boy, did we we put ourselves through <laughs> quite the, the grinder for a number of years, um, including just, like, we don't have techs, we don't have a tour manager, we don't have a driver. Like, we do it all ourselves. Oh, wow. We, do long drives, late nights, Clementine, the drummer and headmistress does most of the driving, but it's like, we, we tour in a way that I think, you know, uh, when people have joined us, they're like, whoa. (laughs) So, um, I think maybe we're like, 
maybe we can maybe we don't have to take that show that's a nine hour drive from the night before you know right. um so I, I think maybe we'll we'll certainly be, be back out there but but i think it was an important time to just reflect and everybody regroup and instead of just kind of being in the rhythm of consistently doing what you've been doing so yeah. dr Rolla will be back out yes i'm working on a new album um the one I sent you, the most recent one I, I did is, uh, it's gonna, it, it's intended to be the first of three. So it's based on Dante's Inferno, and although I hadn't gone into it expecting to do three albums, I just expected to do that one. I learned so much from doing it, and I enjoyed the process so much. And that when I was done, I mean, I think everybody gets a little, little bit of that postpartum <laughs> album stuff that it occurred to me, wait a minute, like, there's two more, like, the Divine Comedy has, you know, Purgatory and Paradise as well, so I've finished my second read of Purgatory, and I've, like I said, I'm pretty much at the tail end of the first piece for that, so really exciting, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, be working on this, and, and I have also another project that's mostly based on solo guitar pieces in hopes that I'll actually get to play them live, because as you've heard, you know, with the orchestration and number of instruments involved in Abandon All Hope, the uh, the most recent one I did, it's just even imagining what the cost for rehearsals alone would be is like, you know, gives me an ulcer. So I don't think it's very likely that I'm going to perform that live anytime soon. Right. Or you could sample everything and just go do it, you know, just... I just couldn't do that though. It's because it's like the, it's the dialogues. I mean, maybe if it were like a total guitar centric, maybe if it was guitar plus like all these other instruments, but it's like, how can I leave out the first violin? Like that, that role's as important as mine, you know, like I just couldn't see doing it to backing tracks. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, but, but, but I do have other stuff coming out that's solo guitar or yeah. solo guitar based. Yeah. I, I can see it. You'd have to get a Kentucky fried chicken bucket. <laughs> you know, in backing track, and uh, there you go. Right, exactly. Well, hey, yeah, I mean, he does do very well with backing tracks. You know who oh, else man. plays great with backing tracks is Andy Timmons. Yeah, I know. He, I know. I mean, he's just such a phenomenal human and musician. And yep. I saw, I did a benefit with him, and he played with backing tracks, and it was like a spiritual experience. I mean, he just he taps into this divine other world that is so beautiful, even with backing tracks which is, I think, even harder to do than when you're interacting with real humans on stage with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's uh, it's a talent within itself. And I know a lot of guys in the, the jazz world, in the contemporary jazz world, that, that do it, you know, uh, mm -hmm. on some of the cruises and some of the things that they do mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, I've done it, and it's, and it's, completely, it's completely weird to me. Yeah. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, Satriani just went in and recorded three albums that were nothing but backing tracks for his listeners, for people to play to. And you know? that's very cool. And yeah. you know what? I feel like Joe is <laughs> Joe is Joe because, like, he, he just has such a clear and beautiful, like, way of understanding what guitar players, what, what speaks to guitar players, what yeah. speaks to people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that he could do that, but I'm, I would also be surprised if, you know, there, there, let's just put it this way. There aren't very many other people that have such a clear, uh, sense of 
of what's going to go over well with guitar players. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, amazing. I, think, I really think it's brilliant. You know, I think I really think it's brilliant. I think it's a brilliant idea for a lot of bands, you know, a lot of people, because, you know, all you got to do is search YouTube, you know, and uh, there's a million guys, you know, playing, you know, always with me, always with you, you know, on their uh-huh. guitar, sitting on the couch or in their bedrooms or wherever they are, you know. Right, you don't right. want to play to it, and so uh, I think it's really good. I think it's a good way. I know when I you know when I talked to him, he talked about, you know, it was to keep, you know, people involved. You know, it was to inspire people to play and, and stuff like that, which is really cool. Uh huh. But yeah. So so maybe you could do that. Maybe you could turn all this, you know, abandon all hope into backing tracks and put it out there for people to make up their own licks to put to it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> it would. So I got to ask you what what made you go down that path though, with the three the, albums in the, you know, the theme of it like that. Dante. Yeah. Okay, so I I'm from a family of writers, and I've always been kind of a book nerd. And my first album, Hail Souls, is actually titled after one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes about the guitar. It's from Much Ado About Nothing, and um, and, and it goes, um, now divine air, now his soul is ravished. Is it not strange that sheep's guts should hail souls from men's bodies? Which I thought was just such a, a lovely way to look at this seemingly humble instrument, but we all, you know, we all feel what it does to us, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and because I've always loved instrumental music, I mean, I love vocal music as well, but I don't sing and I don't write lyrics and, um, what I just, what comes out when I write happens to be instrumental music. And I thought about that. What I love so much about it is that it is so abstract. And because of that, it's very, it's wide open. It's not language specific. You know, somebody in Germany can hear it on level footing as somebody in, you know, Singapore or somebody in California. Right. Um, but, but also because of that abstraction, I think that can be disconcerting to people and so I thought, well, what if I did something that was conceptual so that it still leaves room for people's imaginations enough, but gives a framework so that people people don't feel quite so lost. And, and it helps me or it, it encourages me. It draws out different parts of my creativity so that I'm writing in service of a concept. And so I'd been thinking about that for a while. And then Michael Melinda, who was at the that time editor of Guitar Player Magazine, um, I met him very briefly through um, our mutual friend Jude Gold, and he'd said like that he had heard Hail Souls and that he had heard some stuff on it that indicated to him that maybe I was a little bit more interested in composition than your average, you know, instrumental guitar player. And I confirmed that I was definitely interested in composition. He said, "Well, I, I want to pitch an idea to you," and I, I went to the meeting stealing myself for the advice that I've heard my entire career, which is you should play pop music and you should start singing, you know, with people <laughs> missing the point entirely, but it's okay. I mean, um, and so I was all there ready to once again, say what I've said so many times, but it's, that's not what I'm after. <laughs> um, yeah. but instead he pulled out a sheet of paper that said, you know, project proposal, Michael Melinda to Gretchen men, uh, Dante's Inferno, a journey in 11 different musical mo- moods. And I was like, uh, 
this is what I've been like. I've been thinking about like J.D. Salinger, the nine short stories, or maybe F. Scott Fitzgerald, or maybe Macbeth or something. But nothing had really settled in my mind. And when he put that in front of me, I just felt like complete and total serendipity. Yeah. And I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to be doing the next couple of years of my life. And I knew that I was going to have to go deeper into my study of like composition and stuff. So it was a perfect excuse for me to get, you know, to dive back into the academics that I love wow. uh, in, 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 in furtherance of something that was actually going to see the light of day. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how that came about. And then the idea of continuing it was because I liked it so much. And, you know, I was on the phone with Michael uh, a couple weeks ago and I was like, so purgatory is happening. Get that libretto ready. So, cause he, he, he wrote the, like the, I, when I sent it to you, like the whole like uh, album artwork that was done by Max Crace, yeah. he did like a bunch of Eric Johnson's albums. He's a, an amazing artist. And, uh, Michael Melinda wrote the storyline. So, you know, if you really want to geek out on a concept album, you know, you've got the music, you've got the visuals and you've got the, the storyline as well. Yeah. That's, it's really cool really cool I, I i can only imagine how much time went into making that album though it I, took some time yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it did um and i learned a lot in the process um so i i don't crank out albums fast some people can and that's the nature of what they what you know what what their muses tell them to do I, i've got kind of kind of sadistic muses that want me to work super hard all the time and take a long, long time to get things done. <laughs> not because I'm not working diligently, but just because it's like, yeah, I mean, when you're writing every note for like a, a, a good size ensemble, like, you know, it isn't like you're just copying and pasting stuff. So at least I'm not like, you know, right. you're really trying to work stuff out and you're considering the counterpoint, you're considering the orchestration and you're considering motivic development, all that geeky stuff. So, um, but, but I like that, you know, for me, I, it's some, some of those fun little details, like really fire me up. And so, well, that, I feel like when something excites you, that's your, those are your muses telling you what, what you should be doing. You know, that's what makes you, you know, an individual. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I I'm a fan of the guitar though. I absolutely love the guitar. And, and when you you find somebody that you know can use it in a way that you know does move you or is inspiring in that you know you can't help but be drawn into that right you know? right and so uh and that's you know when I first heard your music I was like wow this is this is so different from a lot of things that I listen to or that I've heard in the past because of the layers of, you know, everything that's going on and, and the diversity in it. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is really cool. So I'm actually looking oh. forward to the next one now. Oh, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to, to it as well. I'm, I'm all excited to have one piece almost done in its composition, which for me is like crazy fast. Cause I think, I think it's been about a month, you know, when people are like, Oh, I wrote that in 15 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't do anything that fast well it's, it sounds like you're you know um oh, really thoughtful in in the entire process i mean it's not like something you just you know you're slapping together by any means i mean you're clearly thinking out every little moment of it uh yeah i, I think 
you know, boy, like, our, we're, we're always at, like, as people, like, this kind of teeter-totter of our strengths and our, our weaknesses. And maybe if I were somebody who just picked up a guitar and every single thing I played sounded great, maybe I would be able to crank out albums without without having to really put in the energy that I put into it. But then the flip side is that, well, I do put in a lot of this energy too. So it's like either one I think is good. Yeah. And it's great that we have so much artistic variety now. I mean, it's like the, the number of incredible musicians today, the number of incredible artists and artistic expressions are just, it's everywhere. Yeah. I think if the, if there is a problem, the problem is just like sorting through the stuff to find the, you know, that which really speaks to you. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I do try to, uh, I get why, well, and I even try, I, I guess my tendency, my inclination is to be really thoughtful about what I, what I write. Um, yeah. Well, it comes so, through. I mean, it definitely comes through. So. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. I, I really appreciate listening to it and <laughs> kind words about it. Yeah. Well, Gretchen, you know what? I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I, I think I took enough. Uh, it was delightful talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it, and uh, I've you know I was listening to some of your your other stuff, your older stuff, you know that's that's out there, um, you know on Spotify and stuff like that for a uh, while. Uh -huh. you know? And of course, you know I've known of Zepparella for forever. It seems like, and uh, <laughs> I've never had the opportunity to to see you, but I've seen a lot of videos and and stuff like that and so uh where are you based again uh chicago uh yeah we've played there but like we had a we've had a, a couple shows now canceled like one was because of a, a band of uh, personnel emergency and one was i think because of this pandemic so wow. hopefully we'll be back i, I really love playing chicago i love chicago yeah, it's it's a nice time. You don't want to be here now because it's, you know, like four degrees outside and freezing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Where you are. Yeah, you should come out to the Bay Area. It's nice here. Well, I, I've actually played at Biscuits and Blues quite often. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a great place. Yeah. That's what, that's where I saw Tony McAlpine. It was, was it uh, really? Nearly, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I used to tour down the coast of, uh, of California often in that, and... Uh, that was always one of our first stops in Northern California was Biscuits and Blues. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah, it's a great spot. I'm, I'm glad. You know, they almost lost it during this pandemic and that. And because We've lost some other ven venues. Slims was like an iconic club that I guess closed, which kind of broke my heart. That was like, yeah. Yeah. That's a shame in that. Well, yeah. Gretchen, I appreciate your time. I really do. Oh, I appreciate you having me on here, and thank you for the great questions and lovely conversation. <laughs> All right, there you go, Gretchen Men, right here on Guitar Talk. Um, you know, make sure you're going to her website, GretchenMen.com. Uh, uh, she's got a lot of uh, great stuff out there. So there's some great videos on YouTube, of course. Uh, her new album is flat out friggin' amazing. She is uh, wow. She she's a guitar player, man. She really is. She's inspirational in a lot of ways. So I want to thank Gretchen so much for participating in Guitar Talk. It was an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with her. 
in that. And uh, just so you know, next Wednesday, Kristen Capolino is joining us. Now, if you don't know who she is, shame on you because she's really talented. And she makes the best guitar stink faces I've ever seen in my life. She is just really cool. She plays a V and she smokes it, man, like it's nothing. Now, I'm going to post a video on guitartalkofficial.com uh, that's going to be available today after this releases uh, that you can watch her play with Billy Sheenan at Daryl's house. Uh, they're actually doing a winery's dog tune called Oblivion. And it takes a little bit of skill in order to pull off that tune, especially when you're pulling it off with Billy Sheenan. So uh, Kristen is going to be my guest uh, next Wednesday, so you want to make sure you tune in. Also, next Monday night on the 14th of June, we're doing our first online Zoom guitar clinic. My guest is Harry Mura. He was the guitarist on the Halo video game series. He did the first three soundtracks and first three videos. Now, Harry's played at some of the biggest festivals around the world. He's uh, played with Jeff Healy, Dickie Betts, uh, James Cotton, and many, many others. He is a flat-out amazing guitar player. There are only eight seats available to this. Uh, you can go to guitartalkofficial.com to sign up. Uh, you can also sign up for other ones that are coming down the road. We're doing one a month. Uh, sometimes there's a guest guitarist, sometimes it's just me. We're talking about various topics. It's going to be really cool, especially if you're trying to hone some skills or learn something different or get some advice and tips from some uh, amazing players because that's what we're going to bring to you every time. Okay, thanks again for tuning in to Guitar Talk today. I'm Jimmy Warren, and until next Wednesday, uh, you all stay safe.